And welcome back to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. This week on our panel, we have Shimon Toltz. Hi, everyone. Hey. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Of course, I say that because it's habit. You know, we've rebranded it. It's topendevs.com. Um, yeah. So we're going to help you be top end devs or top end DevOps devs. Ops. <laughs> and, and you get what I'm, you're, you're picking up what I'm putting down. We have a couple of special <laughs> guests this week. We have Troy Dreyer. Hey, Charles. So good to be here. Yeah, we also have Andres Sacco. Thanks. Hi, everyone. I don't know if I said your name right, but you want to introduce yourselves real quick? Um, know who you are, why you're famous? Yeah, this is Troy. I'm an acquisitions editor for Manning Publications. You might know our big, thick books uh, that hopefully you have on your shelves. And um, I actually work in a new platform we launched last year called Live Projects. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, I guess. Awesome. Andres is uh, one of our authors. Go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. I'm Andres. I'm working as a technical lead on Prisma, which is a company related with uh, manage or process the transaction of the credit cards. And recently, I published on Mining a live project about cost optimization on the cloud platforms. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. So, Troy, do you want to give us a little bit of an idea of what Live Project is, and then we can talk a little bit more about what people can do with it, and then we can dive into Andres and his course and, and how it helps people save money on their microservices? Yeah, absolutely. It came from an idea we had a while ago that maybe we could teach a little bit better. You know, we're known for our books. Uh, the big inaction series is our lead one. We've all several series. And even with a fantastic book, maybe you read 500 page about some topic, whatever you don't put into practice, and pretty soon you're likely to forget. So live projects are the exact opposite of our books. They're short, they're completely hands-on, and there's not a lot of reading. You're guided through a series of steps, you're building something real, and we will link you to passages within our books so that you can read exactly what you need just in time. So a typical live project, you sign up, you're building something. We make it as real world as we can so that you feel like you're working at a company, you know what your role is, you've been tasked with creating something. How are you going to do it? Well, unlike a typical job assignment, we'll give you plenty of help. Projects are entirely text-based. You sign in and read them on our platform uh, through a web browser, but you do the work on your computer or in the cloud, whatever's appropriate. So really what you're getting at the heart of it is a series of steps, and we guide you through the actions. But unlike, you know, we, we add a lot of help to get you through it. We 
Like I said, we link you to passages within our books so you can read exactly what you need. And by the way, any books we link to, you get free 90-day access to, so you can read the whole book for free if you want to. We found that pretty early on that if people get stuck, sometimes they quit. And we don't want you to quit. We want you to succeed. So we built in a system of clickable hints. So you can click to reveal a hint on tricky areas. It'll not give you the area, but help lead you toward the solution, help you figure it out. We break up our projects into milestones. So every once in a while, you can upload some code you've created compared to the author's version. If you need to make any changes, you can do that. Self-assess, make some changes, and then get right back into the project. Uh, at the end of it, you've built something. And the idea is that you can go to work the next day and do the exact same thing and know that you can do it because you've literally already done it. Wow, that sounds really cool. It sounds like a combination of like uh, sort of like labs and a boot camp like in like together. I really love learning, you know, in terms of a hands-on experience. So it's like a in it's like different from your books because it's an online platform and I actually sign in, I read the task and I perform it, sort of like Code Academy where it teaches me Python, for example. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest help that I should mention is that every project has a mentor, a live person, it might uh-huh. be the author, or it might be someone else who knows the area well. At any point, if you're stuck, you put a question in the discussion forum, within 12 hours, that mentor is going to give you an answer. Again, not giving you the answer, but helping you discover where you should look. And because every learner has access to the same discussion forum for you know that project, often learners help each other share resources or tips. So it, it's really nice to see the what, what develops. That sounds really great. It's funny because I've already recorded one podcast episode today. It was for React Roundup. And we were discussing how to learn, right? How to pick up new things, how to stay current. And we started out talking about just how to know what to learn which I guess isn't really the focus of this. But once you know, hey, I need to learn this thing, like say, yeah, how to manage or minimize costs in a cloud-based microservices, then it's, okay, well, I need to pick this stuff up. And we had the conversation, how do you learn it, right? And the conversation kind of ranged through books and conference talks and hands-on and things like that. And ultimately, the thing that we decided And of course, I was leading the charge because I love talking about this stuff was, hey, you have to do it if you want to retain it. If you want to learn it, you have to get your hands dirty. You have to get in. You have to screw it up a couple of times and go, what did I do? Right. Mm -hmm. Did I typo? Did I did I miss something crucial? Oh, I needed to include this library. Oh, I needed to install this package, you know, whatever. And then, and as you kind of fight your way through it, you pick up kind of the the principles that you didn't pick up. But the other thing is, is that you can kind of get this all around view on things. If you go, say, watch a conference talk that gives you a high level view, listen to a podcast that talks about some of the principles behind the thing. Go watch a video of somebody doing what you're about to do. Go read the book, right? Because the books are thick, but they're thick for a reason. It gives you a really holistic view on the principles and ideas behind things and explain to you why things work the way that they work, which is something you generally don't get out of the shorter videos or tutorials. And then when you come in and you actually get your hands dirty, then it reinforces all of that stuff because your understanding is going to get pressed into place in the elastic parts of your brain as you actually do it. Could you go back to that podcast and just put in a little mention of uh, the live project format? Just, uh, hey, by the way, I like what you're saying, Charles. The ideal customer for live projects is comfortable making mistakes. That's just part of it. 
you get an error and you got to figure out why. You know, we have hints and help for people who just can't figure it out. But ideally, you'd want to struggle a little bit and, and really figure it out for your own. And you're just going to learn that much deeper. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, in terms of live projects, uh, is it so do I need to write code? inside your platform and then you evaluate whether it's the right solution well it's uh, you're not really working in our platform I mean the, our platform is really just guiding you through the exercises uh, maybe there's some diagrams links help but you're doing the work on your system locally or in the cloud and we don't at the time at the moment we don't evaluate it you self-evaluate so you upload your work at the end you compare it to the author's official version and you decide how close you can. Now, that said, in the near future, we are going to offer certification for people who finish several projects. Maybe it's a full series. Maybe it's a group of series. We're still kind of working that out. And certification will include hand examination by an expert. We haven't got there quite yet, but it's coming. That's super cool. So, so currently, for example, let's say I'm learning Python and you, you will teach me. And then I will have like a task to build, let's say, a to-do application. Mm-hmm. And then I will like go through the different steps and, and build it by myself. If I have like troubles, I will talk with the with the community and or maybe the author or your team will help me. And then in the end, I can go and see the final project that the author made and compare it to my own. That's it exactly. And by the wow, way, we, cool. we have a, we have a lot on Python, but we're, <laughs> um, you know we're interested in things that are that are cutting edge where use is growing. We have, Broadly, three big categories, uh, machine learning and AI, DevOps and, and programming. So, um, you know, we have a lot in uh, all those areas and probably 80 some LP live project series right now and over 100 others in development. So we're trying to grow the platform as quickly as we can. Very cool. So the resources that you get in a live project, project, I guess, is... Is it written out? Is it video? Is it audio? I mean, what are you getting that is giving you the information you need and giving you the assignment? The projects are almost entirely text-based. There might be some illustrations, there might be some links to videos, but it's primarily text-based. And at the heart of it, it's a list of instructions of what you're going to do. And I tell you, some people have been trained by other online course places. They want that 100 hours of video to just watch. That's what they're comfortable with. And they come to live projects... And sometimes they say, this isn't for me. That's fine. It's not for everybody. Uh, but with that 100 hours of video, you know, it's still a lean back experience. It's not hands-on. Mm-hmm. And the difference is ours is hands-on. We give you a lot of resources to get you through it. And at the end, you've built something. So the experience is primarily text-based. We The start files, the scenario, the steps you go through, the hints, all text. We link you to passages within our books. And you can read exactly what you need. Again, reading but just what you need and just in time gotcha yeah i'm I'm one of those people that i get the 100 hours of video and about 45 minutes in i'm like i'm freestyling baby because <laughs> i just i don't i can't sit through video that long and so this is much more i think my speed where it's hey go do this here's here's some help here's some direction figure some of this out come back yeah mm-hmm. that, that's definitely the way that i like to wrangle things when i'm come up it's, it's interesting. I think that I like both of them. I like the videos as like an overview so I can get then the, the general sense of understanding of like what I'm dealing with. But then you got to go deep in. You got to try it out and you got to do it. And then this, this sounds like the perfect thing after you like learn something 
theoretical or like listen or read a book or like a manning book and then you want to really do it and sounds like a great platform for it yeah we're, we're I just need to get tested for add <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with ours you can work at your own pace whenever you want a lot of our book a lot of our projects are inspired by our what books are are doing the best for us you know we have this we have this project or platform called uh, meep manning early access platform mm-hmm. where we put up books even before they're done it's something that uh, that we developed. A lot of publishers are doing it now, but I'm, I'm happy to say Manning created it. And uh, that means that people don't have to wait for the full book. And, you know, these books, they've got certain shelf life. We want to get the contents to people as soon as possible. And people really love getting them one chapter at a time. Well, one of the great things about the Meet platform is it gives us data much faster than we would have. So we can see where the hot areas are. We can see if something's really exploding, you know, like uh, cryptography. We had a cryptography book that just did insane as soon as we put it in Meep. And so we're like, we have to get projects about that. So I went out, I found a great author. We're in the final stages of testing something right now where we're going to learn uh, cryptographic techniques through uh, learning games. And I'm really excited about it. It's going to do fantastic. Very cool. So, Andres, I'm, I'm a little curious from your end of this. What did you think when they pitched this to you and... What was your experience building a project? To be honest, I participate as a, a reviewer in, in many live projects, different books on many. So more or less, I have the experience for the other side to criticize to, okay, you need to improve this. And most of the live project that I review, not fine. But I never think, okay, I, I have an idea. It's my time to create something. And some of the editors contact with me and propose, okay, you have experience with microservices, with different frameworks, with different languages. We can create something that uh, are interesting for most of the, the, the users that enter on mainin. So, okay, we have a, a meeting and we discuss some ideas. And after that, we decide to create this, this live series about uh, cost optimization. Looks fine. I agree with, with both all of you related with, okay, it's not just see a, watch a video and understand, try and understand, trying to remember everything because it's okay. But tomorrow I forgot most of the, the information because I, I don't suffer nothing. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, okay. it, it, it's true because if you spend time and you find a problem and you can't resolve it in, in some way, you say, oh, I got it. I resolve it. And tomorrow I remember because this is important. And my, my life series try to show to the learner a real situation. In fact, it is most of the, my example is from a previous company that I, I work. I reduced obviously the, the scenario because it's very big, but I try to represent more or less the, the spirit of the, the platform and the first step in the, in the different projects that I show to a learner is, okay, try to, to see the problem that appear in the code in the different microservices. Okay, you see? Okay, I explain how to solve it in the different steps of my, my, life, my life project. And also, I put some resources on mining or external resources to guide to the different learners to understand what is the idea, which is are the pros of or the cons of each approach. It's not, okay, copy and paste the code and everything works fine. It's not the idea. The idea is, okay, for example, you can put a mechanism of cash, which are the best, in which situation you need to consider 
that add one mechanism instead another one. And this is the idea, the show to the learner the idea, the pros and the contrast of each, each of them, and they decide in their real life which use it. It's like you're giving them tools and making them, changing the way of thinking and giving them a tool chain of like, oh, you have, I don't know, a lot of people hitting S3, maybe you should put it in CloudFront. Mm. You have a lot of people mm -hmm. making requests, maybe you should put in a Redis cache and then you will save a lot of money. It's like changing the way of thinking rather than this magic solution that will reduce your costs. Yeah, that, I they, like yeah. magic. <laughs> Show okay, a solution and you can reuse the solution in another language or with another framework because most of my solution are, you can translate with a little small of, of work in, in another uh, language or another framework in, in Java. So the idea is, okay, you have a problem and remember the solution that I show you and try to find you know, how you can implement in another language. In the case that, For example, okay, my company moved from Spring Boot on Java to Quarkus. And I, I don't show you the, the solution on Quarkus, but I show how you can solve the problem and you can find how to translate in the future with that framework. I have so many questions. Like in my previous role, our AWS monthly bill was $1.5 million. dollars. So oh, that that, that's it. Very cheap. After Pocket discount... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and like cost reduction was, was, was a real serious thing. And I got to tell you, like we, we had discussions. We we'll go like, okay, maybe we hire three people and we pay them $50,000 to reduce $100,000. It's like, it's starting, it's like buying things at the market, but it's like, it's crazy, <laughs> you know, because you're trying to think like, is it cost effective for me to optimize this problem now? And my question to you, Andres, is which areas do you focus on? Do you focus on more on the services area, the cloud area? Is it more about traffic and storage? Or like, what is the approach in your live uh, platform? Okay, the, the main idea here is, as you know, some cloud providers, you pay for the transference between different availability zones or different mm -hmm. data centers, depending on the cloud provider. So you need to reduce in some way the payload that you transfer from one microservices to another. Or Encryption, yeah. encapsulation, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Compression, yeah. <laughs> so my idea is show different strategies to reduce or reduce the request that goes from one microservices to another one or reduce the size of these uh, microservices. You can compress the traffic, you can add some mechanism of cache, you can reduce in some way the duplicate request that are not static information, like, I don't know, uh, at the catalog of the cities, which don't change very frequently. But for example, the price of one product can change each second, depending on the market or, or, or depend on a lot of conditions. So my idea is focus only in the transference of information or, or the request. For example, what happened if one of my microservices are unhealthy? What happened? I do all the, the entire request to from the first microservices to the last one. At the last one, have a problem. Oh, I pay for all the transference from the one to the last one just to obtain an error. You need to reduce in some way this this kind of request because you you know that are unhealthy. So you can add some mechanisms or, or some patterns to don't do this request to 
to this endpoint and reduce the number of bytes that you transfer. Let me just mention here for anyone who wants to see what we're talking about. If you go to manning.com, Andres' series is called Minimize Costs in Cloud-Based Microservices. You can search on that or you can search on his name. We'll put uh, he's created a, too. Okay, awesome. Uh, he's created a, a four-project series. So the projects are Reduce Traffic, Compress Communications, Prevent Duplicate Requests, and Circuit Breaker. Each one takes you through a different way to minimize your costs of using microservices. The first one is actually free. You can go ahead and try the first project in the series, absolutely no cost. If you like what you want, you can buy the whole series and then you get the access to the books. And we'd, we'd love to have you try it out. I'm gonna Sounds try it awesome. Out. I'm going to look so smart at work. <laughs> Another thing that, that is interesting to me is I think that those core principles are very, on the one hand, they're very actionable and they can reduce costs immediately. On the other hand, they are like, infrastructure enough to be applied on different sets of infrastructure and different sets of services. I have a question regarding, you know, sometimes it's a problem to even know how much things cost and just even understanding where are your spend and how is it going and which request should I compress? Um, so what are your advice on, on this area in terms of like how to gain like cost observability into your cloud? Yeah, well, when I start to work in my previous company, we, we find that we have a big bill <laughs> related with the cost transference of the information. So we decide to put some mechanisms to, or some action to reduce the, this problem. So the, the first, what we, we think is, okay, we need to compress all, all the gets. The, if you do a request in a get endpoint, I, if you ask me, I return all the, my information compressed. So in most of the cases, the, the reduction is 90% of the, the previous What time. do you do? Like base, six, base uh, 64 or like what? Yeah, more or less. In the case of Java, the, there are a framework, which is Spring Boot, and do more or less the, this kind of thing, compress all the, um, the response and uh, do everything for you. So just you do the request from one microservices, say, okay, another microservices, I need your response as a compress. When return the, the response, decompress, and um, for me, it's transparent. I don't see nothing. It's just the same that the previous the stage. I, I know that you can do the same in Node or Python. It's, yep. it's a cross concept in every language. So yeah, and after that, we see that our cost of decrease, not a lot, but decrease something. And <laughs> yeah, and we, we say, okay, we need to add some mechanisms of cash. And we start to discuss about which mechanisms of cash is the best uh, option. A mechanism of cash in each instance of my microservices, central cash, mechanism of cash in front the microservices. So the, the first thing that the request do is go to the mechanism of cash, like an Nginx or a varnish, try to obtain information. And if the information is not available, do the request to the real microservices, obtain information and save it and yeah. return for the microservices. And Best practices. Are, yeah. I show the, the, the pros and the cons. For example, if you use a in-front cache, you don't need to modify a lot of, of things or, or the configuration in, in the code. It's just, okay, 
at, at the, the it's magic stuff. charles yeah. it's magic <laughs> yeah <laughs> if magic if you know that exists the problem is when yeah. the developers don't know that this this kind of thing exists and say mm-hmm. hmm, something strange happened here um yeah but but like i try to figure out some kind of problem for example the company that i work it was travel company that sell tra- uh, flights, hotels, most of the things related with vacation or holidays. And when there is some special event like Cyber Monday, Black Friday, these kind of events, a lot of search with similar condition happen with a little difference. So the time that takes obtain all the information and put in or, or save it in, in the cache, Perhaps you have 10 or 20 uh, requests with the same parameters at the same time. So I added some mechanism to say, okay. Pre-hot, warm the cache. One one of them pass Mm -hmm. across the entire workflow and the rest wait, wait until the the first one obtain the response. When obtain the response, everyone, everything return the same response. So I reduce the number of requests that travel across the, the pipeline. There are another solutions like, okay, you can add some mechanism of limiting the, the, the size of the pods on Kubernetes or in Docker. But the main problem is the developers don't understand how you can solve this problem. If the DevOps try to solve all the problems from the developers introduced, is a bad practice. The best idea is everyone knows the, the things that add cool impact in, in some part of the, the invoice that you receive by the end of the month. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software And what makes it so unique is that it not only tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit Raygun.com to resolve issues faster and deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's Raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, though. I mean, I'm kind of coming in from the developer end of things. I mean, that's my full-time job, writing code. A lot of times this stuff doesn't get passed down. So how do you explain to your developers, hey, look, we need to cache this stuff in this way under these circumstances using this mechanism that's going to save... Because, I mean, yeah, the developers, in a lot of cases, we don't really want to think about the infrastructure. But if you come in and you say, hey, this is going to make this difference, it's going to save this kind of money, it's going to it's going to make the request between services faster, it's going to solve some of these other issues. We're good helping with that stuff, but it doesn't always get communicated through. And so I guess what I'm wondering is who takes responsibility for making sure the developers know they need to do it? And who explains to them what the proper, I guess, response sequence, technology, protocol, whatever looks like? I think the most common problem in the company is, okay, I am a developer and develop something, uh, microservices and deploy and everything works fine. It's okay for me and nothing happened. And 
when the company show more or less the, the cost associated in each thing that you deploy or, or each microservices, you, you consider, okay, I can think a different way or I can find a different way to, to solve the same problem and reduce the cost associated. For example, we, we start to use it uh, Redis and we discover a lot of bugs in the number of or the size of the information that we, we save it on Redis and we say, oh, we spend a lot of money on Redis. What happens if we move it to Cassandra? We mm -hmm. spend less money. Okay, we can do it. But if you don't show to the developers what is what which is the impact that you you put in the code when you deploy something to production, I don't know if anyone uh, any developer can think okay. Oh, I, we need to use a Cassandra instead of Redis, or we need to compress the, the traffic because we spend a lot of money. It's they don't care directly. Yeah, it's like security. You say developers they don't care about security. You just you need to like constantly talk to them. So so how do you do it? I know that some companies they put labels on all of their like AWS resources, Kubernetes pods, uh, workloads, and so on. And then there's like some dashboard. And in organizations that I worked at and where my friends work, every team has their number, their budget. How do you recommend people? bring visibility of course to developers uh, yeah in my case we use uh, labels on the different microservices that we deploy so when when i receive the invoice i by the end of the, the month i receive the entire invoice and split by product or by area so i, I say oh we spend more money and but you you need to find out a way that's to, to tag depend of the cloud provider and figure out where you spend more money that in the previous month. And, and always you need to compare from the, the previous month. It's not, uh, okay, this month I spend, I don't know, one $100. Uh, I don't remember that the, in the previous month. <laughs> yeah. I understand, you know, I want, but I want to talk, I want to talk about the other side. I'm a CEO of an early stage startup. And we have, like right now, I can reduce my bill by like $10,000. And I actively choose to not do it. And I think that it's also a consideration that you should have because I've seen the other side of the spectrum. I've seen organizations that like focus on like saving every bit of like every last dollar, but then they don't deliver features. They don't fix bugs. They're like obsessed right. about making it mm. the cheapest thing. And and you need to understand it's, it's again, I, I see a comparison to security. It's like, it's a balance. So you need to know like what's 80% versus 20%. And then how much resources is it going to take to, for you? Have you seen that? Yeah, most of the, the companies that I, I work with uh, don't think, okay, you need to deploy a microservices. It's okay, deploy it. It's not, uh, tell me when it's in production and everything looks fine and I can start to do a request. For me, it's everything that I, I need to know. Um, but in some part of the life of the company, they receive a big bill and the problems appear. So, I mean, I told you, we need to think in the cost. It's not uh, deploy, deploy, create more instance of each microservices and everything looks fine. And most of the cases, the optimization on the cost is related with performance because thinking in that way, if you reduce the size that the response of, the, of each microservices 
is compressed, the la latency between... It's going to be faster. Yeah. Yes, it's better, yeah. It's yep. win to win. It's not just, okay, I spend less money. I improve the performance in, in the response, in the time to response. So That's a great point. Yeah. Yep. You need to think outside the, the box. It's not just money, 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 money. Money and... This, this happened to me also with Redis. So we would do like put and get of uh, IDs into Redis mm. and we used it for deduplication. And once we switched to like bulk, add and set and get, then not only that it freed a lot of like a, a cost from our side, it also improved the service significantly because it was much faster. So it's a good point. Yeah. And in most of the cases, for imagine the, the case that you have duplicate requests. Not think in the money. Think, okay, these microservices don't receive a lot of requests. So perhaps you don't need to scale your microservice. You don't need 10 instances just with three or, or four and you add some mechanism of cache or some, some barrier to only pass one of the, the requests. You can reduce the, the number of the instance that you need to to your platform. It's not all, all about money. You need to think in a different way. Of course, I've, there are things that are only connected with the money and you can do it just for the money, but there are another that you can think in a different way. I agree. You know, one thing yeah. that saved us a lot of money, which is just like a, a thing that you do that is not related to performance, is like we had a crazy amount of data in S3 and you can just like switch a toggle and say like, it shouldn't be accessible as fast as, as like crazy, you know, it could be a little bit slower. And then this a little bit slower when you have like petabytes of data is, turns out it's a lot of money. So there are like things that are switch knobs that you just switch and then you instantly reduce a lot of cost mm -hmm. because you change the storage tiers into lower tiers. And Another thing is, okay, you can reduce the, the, the problems that appear when you, you receive a, a big number of requests. And But what happens if something is wrong and an error in your microservices appears? You need to think, okay, I need a way to continue the platform working without these microservices. And in this part appear, for example, a circuit breaker or, or a fallback method that, okay, for example, I can obtain the, the markup to every, every flight. Okay. Put a markup of zero or 1% and everything works fine for me. It's just not think, Oh, I don't have one microservices online. I can return nothing. Just okay. You, you need to continue sell in the case that you have a site that sell products or, or, or travel or fried or whatever. Cool. Yep. If, if people have more questions about this, Andres, uh, how do they how do they contact you? I have an email, sacco.andresgmail.com. And I also wrote some articles on, on Medium. And I also available on LinkedIn. <laughs> so if anyone can contact me, it's, for me, it's wonderful to uh, help to someone to solve a, a problem. Very cool. And then Troy, for live project, I don't know if we asked either of you what the process is for actually creating a project. Uh, do either of you want to dive into that? And then we can find out how if people think they have a series of projects that they could put together for something that Manning might be interested in, how they get a hold of you. Yeah, we are. We are constantly looking for new people. You know, sometimes 
I have a topic that I want to create projects about. Like we just recently signed a book about Podman. We see a lot of interest in it. We decided we want to create some companion projects right away. So I'm talking to some people now about that. But other times, um, you know, projects come to me. I'll talk to an expert, ask them what they're really great at, what kind of project series they'd like to create. Uh, that's how uh, Andres's project came to be. He gave me this idea of minimizing costs in microservices. You know, we tested it, we ran with it, we loved it. And actually, now that he's done with it, he's working on his second series for us. Just uh, remind me, uh, Andres, what is what's the topic of that one? I'm uh, yeah, it's testing for microservices, but not in the, the common sense of, hey, I create a unit test. It covers other things like a child engineer, integration test, security test. If you use some dependencies with bug, you, you can detect and protect that you don't deploy something with, with bugs or with potential uh, vulnerabilities on, on production. And some kind of test that check if the, the structure of your microservices is the correct. You define some rules and these tests check in every microservices are if are correct or, or not. That sounds pretty handy. Yeah, and, and neither topic is one I would have come up with by myself. So I'm, I'm very grateful to him for coming up with these fantastic ideas. If other yeah. people listening to this have great ideas, um, just go to manning.com, look for the uh, you know our Write For Us section. You can find a proposal form for books, videos, and live projects. Uh, fill out what you are doing and uh, you know just send it in and um, the editors will look at it and get back to you. Even if it's not completely right for us, you know, maybe we can find something that is is right that meets your experience. Yeah, the running gag on this show is that I'm the unicorn, so I have all of the best ideas and I'm automatically qualified to make the projects for them. <laughs> but for everybody else, yeah, let them know which things you're good at. Unicorn would be handy. Sounds yeah, cool. Right? I should do a project on how to be a unicorn. That'd be a million seller. I know, right? Right. So uh, if if somebody gets in and they start making a project, are they just submitting like markdown files to you guys? Or do you have like a web interface where you type the stuff into? Or how does that all work on the other end? Yeah, I mean, uh, Manning is, is known for its, its quality products. We're a little bit boutique-y. We handle a smaller number of projects and you know, books, videos, whatever, but we give them more editorial assistance. So if you're working with us, you know, it's, it's several months to create a series of projects. You're paired with a project manager who guides you through everything, helps you understand the deadlines. You're working, getting us materials and uh, templates we have written in Markdown, getting us whatever resources we need to create the project. We've got a big testing stage in there where we get a lot of volunteers, ask them their thoughts. Uh, you help us with that. We integrate that feedback. The whole process you know, takes a few months, but at the end, we get a, a project we're pretty happy about. Very cool. All right. Well, I'm going to push this over into picks, mainly because I have another appointment here in like uh, 10, 15 minutes. But this has been really interesting, both from the standpoint of how to set up and maintain, uh, save some money on microservices, and kind of this tutorial walkthrough approach that you have that seems pretty unique to uh, Live Project. Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I've put together the curriculum. 
And I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. The next segment is picks. And picks are just shout-outs about stuff that you're enjoying that's good for you in life. It could be anything. So, Shimon, why don't you go ahead and start us off? And yeah. Cool. So, uh, my pick is actually going to be a magic trick. This is, I remember this because of uh, the cost optimization that we talked about. And this helped us reduce our servers by 50% in a company. And I'm talking like hundreds of servers. Now, the thing is, we used the EC2 servers from Amazon back then. And the, the servers that Amazon gives you, you have a certain amount of CPU, certain amount of memory, and certain amount of disk. And we were running a code in Golang. And what happened is that the application was very much I.O. intensive and CPU intensive, but not really memory intensive. So what happened is we wanted to do a cost reduction, and we looked at it, and we're like, we're not doing nothing, anything with this memory. We wonder how can we squeeze money out of this memory? But then we're thinking to ourselves like, okay, but, but what are we going to do with it? Like, like Bitcoin mining for the memory, like what are you going to do? Booyah. So, ac- <laughs> so actually, and this is a nice tip that you can do with any language that has garbage collection, is we actually changed the time that it takes the garbage collector to perform garbage collection. And what it did, it actually reduced the amount of CPU usage and increased the amount of memory usage because it would not clear, uh, it will not do garbage collection and then it will use up more memory, but it will use less CPU. So this actually allowed us to cut our servers in half and it was the craziest cost reduction I've ever seen in my life. That's cool. I don't know if I would have come up with that. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm the unicorn. <laughs> That's, I don't know, maybe Jewish thinking. I don't know. <laughs> there you, I don't know. I'm impressed though. That's cool. Yeah. All right. I've got a couple of picks. So I've read, I read books all the time, or I listen to books actually on Audible all the time. So the books, I've actually finished a couple of books over the last week. One that I've been reading for a week or so was Masters of Doom. And it's it tells the story of the guys who created Commander Keen. If you played that when you were a kid. I played that when I was a kid. And then they created Doom and Doom 2 and then Quake. And uh, I won't tell you how many hours I lost to Quake in college, <laughs> but it was many, many. I also won't tell you that we played it on the university computers of in course. the data center when I was working there. So We even did it in the military. When I served in the military, we installed Quake on the computers in the military. Everyone does it everywhere. Right, right. Yep. It, it, was, it was good fun. Yeah, the rail gun, the body explodes. Yeah, good stuff. Anyway, so this tells the story of the developers behind it and kind of where they all came up from and how they met and how they got together and, you know, what happened with a company and stuff like that. And anyway, it was really, really fascinating. And I just kind of loved the journey that it took me on. So if you're into game development or you're interested in, hey, how some of these companies kind of come together and then come apart and then come together, this is a terrific book. I think it was written in like 2005 because it ends like right after Quake 3 came out. So anyway, I'm going to pick that. And then the other book I read, I try not to swear on the show, but the book is called How to Get <laughs> Shit Done. So Sounds good. Um, anyway, it's, it's really short, really, really short. It's by Sean Whalen. And he kind of breaks down how to think about life and how to think about what you're doing with your day. And I really liked it. So I'm going to pick that as well. 
And then the book that I just finished yesterday is called The Road Back to You. And it's by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stable, I think. And it is about the Enneagram. And I'm not sure, it seems like it's it's something that kind of got traction in Christian circles here in the U.S. And it was referred to me by some, you know, some of my friends who are in some of the Christian circles that I move in. And anyway, it, it does have some Christian thought in it, but mostly it's about personalities. And so it talks about nine different personalities and how they kind of manifest in people and things like that. And it really was mm-hmm. helpful for me in, A, identifying why I do some of the things I do. Like on the Enneagram, I'm a seven, which is mm-hmm. the enthusiast. And uh, it pretty much nailed a lot of the the things that I tend to do. But I also recognize that like my son is a five. And so a, a seven is a reaction to fear. A, a five is also a reaction to fear. And so you're kind of fear-driven personalities. There are healthy versions of it too, right? But so his is I collect information and then I share it all the time. And for him, it's video games and he shares his video game knowledge, but it's it's a defense mechanism with the other kids, right? And so the kids that are into it become his friends and the kids that aren't into it, you know, whatever. Anyway, so it, it was really, really interesting. My wife is a one, she's a perfectionist. And mm. so that is more of a, it's more of a feeling, emotional thing than a, you know, anyway. So it was really, really interesting just to kind of look at it and go, oh, okay, that's why they do what they do. And <laughs> so uh, anyway, really enjoyed that. A couple other things I'm just going to throw in here. I am putting on the podcast bootcamp. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, we'll have you launched with a great sounding podcast in four weeks and starts on October 5th. So you can find that at podcastbootcamp.io. And I already have one person signed up, so I'm going to be doing great. it. It's yeah, it's it's a done deal. It's going to happen. Well, so you have like a gazillion podcasts and doing it for so many years. It just makes sense. Yeah, that's true. I've been podcasting for 13 years. I've produced it's more crazy. than 3,300 podcast episodes across 25 plus podcasts. I've been a host on at least 2,000 podcast episodes. I've been a guest on a whole bunch. Anyway, it's wow. it's something that I really love. And it seems like people are always asking me how to start it. And so it's like, hey, look, let's let's get this sucker launched for you four weeks. We'll have live Q&A sessions. If you can't make it, you just send the question in. We'll record it. You'll get the answer. I'm going to have video walkthroughs and worksheets and the whole nine yards. And uh, yeah, we'll get you launched in four weeks. So... Yeah, and we'll we'll make it work for you, you know, if your schedule's a little bit off from mine, right? So if you're in a different part of the world. So yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. So that's another thing I'm going to shout out about. And yeah, that's pretty much all the stuff I'm going to share. I talked a lot. Uh, Troy, do you have some picks? Can I share a pick? Would that be okay? Yeah, do it. All right. I'm guessing everyone in your audience already knows about this because it's a year old, but I just learned about it. Of yesterday, I think I was, I was talking to one of our authors, David Clinton. Uh, he wrote a book for us, AWS, The Month of Lunches. We have so many live projects that involve AWS services, and we need a way to organize them to help people kind of figure out what they should learn in what order. He's helping me with it. I said to him, how many AWS services are there? He said, nobody knows. <laughs> there, Amazon there be, doesn't know either. You're right. <laughs> there might be 200 at this point. But uh, he clued me in um, this genius musician programmer named Forrest Brazil last year created a a song in the style of the old uh, comic songster Tom Lehrer. And it's called uh, 168 AWS services in two minutes. It just speeds you through (laughs) 168 services 
with a little bit of commentary. There's a key change. There's tempo changes. He keeps it really fun. I recommend anyone involved in cloud services go check out this video on YouTube because it's it's a riot. That sounds awesome. Well, not everybody knew about it because I didn't. You'll love it. Amazing. Awesome. Uh, Andres, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. Well, I read too many books like you, Charles. And two of them that I really recommend to, to read because change my mind or change the way that I, I think are microservices pattern from Chris Richardson, which is an incredible book. He also published most of the, the, the patterns that appear on, on the microservices in microservices.io. And he do some calls or, or conference about the, this kind of, of pattern, but the, the book is a very detailed with, with example and, and everything. And the other one, which is more or less in the same, the same idea is Cloud Patterns from Cornelia Davis. This is another book that if you don't know more or less uh, about what is microservices or you need to improve some, some things, these books are, are very great. And if you have time, try to assist uh, to some of the, uh, the meetings that uh, Chris Richardson do on different platforms or different conferences. Chris is awesome. He's one of our top sellers. And uh, I'm really happy to say that he is creating his own live projects based on that best-selling book. The first one should launch in the next month or so. So we're really excited about that. Very cool. Cool. All right. Well, thank you both for coming. This has been really fun. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you you for coming. Thank you for having us. Now I'm waiting for the big live projects from Shimon Toltz. You know, Manning, talk to me. They're so cool. They wanted to to do a GitOps book together and I really want to do it. But man, I have so many things to do. Oh, I know. Eventually, eventually I'll do it. Okay, we're going to hold you to that. And the Unicorn (laughs) Project. We want the Unicorn as well. Uh, There we go. Amazing. Best-selling projects right there. Definitely. All right, folks. We're going to wrap it up here. Until next time, Max out. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.